From WHQR Public Media, this is The Newsroom. I'm Kelly Knoyer. Thank you for joining us. Last month, WHQR hosted its second-ever Cape Fear Conversation, this time at Waterline Brewing. We invited members of the LGBTQ community to talk about issues impacting us in North Carolina and the Wilmington area. We laughed, we cried, and we had a wonderful time. So now, just in time for Pride Month, you get to hear the highlights. And just a note, younger members of the community like myself often use queer as an umbrella term for LGBTQ+. We've added a lot of people under this rainbow umbrella, and queer is a little less unwieldy. I know it used to be a slur, but I think it's time we fully reclaim it. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Kelly Kenoyer. I'm a reporter at WHQR. I'm also part of the bisexual gang, so I'm out here, and I use she, her pronouns. Uh, my name is Brooke Lambert. The pronouns I use are she, her, and hers. Um, I currently serve as the director of the Moen Schultz LGBTQA Resource Center at UNCW. Um, I identify as a queer woman, and I am extremely happy to be here, so thank you so much for having us. My name is Erin Jones. I am a co-owner of the Roasted Bookery uh, Bookstore. My pronouns are she, her. I am gaily forward, which is what my high school friends came up with when I was the straight one in the group. Um, but I, we, I do have a queer child that we support greatly. I'm Quaylen Bowen, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm the co-host of a podcast called Ask Toe By Us, um, as well as I work at Northside Food Co-op as the strategic partnership coordinator, and I identify as queer, and yeah. I'm T.R. Nunley. I use he, him pronouns. I'm an out, proud, transgender male, and uh, in the community, I do a few support groups for transgender adults, transgender kids, parents of transgender folks, as well as some other LGBT events that happen within the community. And if that's not enough, I also have um, a Facebook group called Wilmington Pride, which is an online hub for people to connect and get to know each other and find LGBT resources. Hey, I'm Caroline Morin. My pronouns are she, her. I'm the executive director of the LGBTQ Center of the Cape Fear Coast. I identify as a queer woman, um, and I'm excited to be here today. Hi, my name is Takesha McIntyre, and I'm also on the board with Caroline, and I'm also on the board with um, Shelly O'Rourke, and we're on the Victory Fund board, which um, also elects candidates in uh, North Carolina and also in other states, and my pronouns are she and her. All right, so across the country and in North Carolina, we've seen a flurry of bills filed to prevent trans youth from participating in school sports. What is your take on that debate? TR? Yeah, so, you know, I think, you know, there are lots of reasons why kids join sports. Love of the game, socialize, exercise. Winning, you know, is in there. But, you know, people are saying, and let's, let's just break it down, it's trans girls, not trans boys, but trans girls, because people think that maybe they have an advantage. Well, in sports, we celebrate when kids have an advantage. When you have a seven foot tall kid, you are giving that kid scholarships, you're like endorsing them, you're encouraging them to play basketball. I mean, the slight advantage that a trans girl might have over other cisgender girls is so 
ridiculously small um, that I just don't understand why you're preventing that trans girl from being on a sport that you know she feels most comfortable in. And if you're worried about cisgender boys going on a team uh, that is girls so that they can like win, ban them. I mean, that's simple. And say, you know what, this is a hate crime or like a hate crime and they shouldn't be part of sports anymore if that's your concern. But the idea of just preventing a trans girl from playing sports just because you think of what might happen is just ridiculous and you're hurting that kid. Um, I think it's important to note too um, that I feel like a lot of it is just rooted in misogyny as well because as TR mentioned, um, a lot of it, it's all around trans women and trans girls, right? So it's this idea that anybody that is assigned male at birth is inherently going to be better than anybody that is assigned female at birth, right? So I think part of it is this, is that idea. And I think it's important to note too that when we're looking at international and national competitions such as like the Olympics, so the IOC has had trans inclusive policies since the early 2000s, right? So None of this is new, and in fact, we've had trans-inclusive policies both with the IOC and the NCAA for a number of years, and it's only recently, now all of a sudden, where we have these concerns, right? So these fears that they're talking about, they're, they're just not real. There's no data to support any of it. Um, when I was playing sports, I um, a lot of the girls that I was hanging out with didn't play sports, so I played with a lot of the guys. And I was young, and they didn't really look at me as a girl playing sports. They looked at me as a friend playing sports. And they tackled me like I was one of the guys. They, uh, I was bloodied up and everything. And I'm just saying, it, to me, I realized that it's more of fear in adults and not children. So let children be children. Let them be who they want to be. Joining us now is our final panelist, Ebony Valentino. Do you want to introduce yourself and your pronouns and your relationship to the queer community? Okay. Hello, everyone. I'm Ebony Valentino. Um, I'm one of the few black trans women living in this community here in Wilmington. Um, I originated from Florida, but my dad is from here. So my dad is originally from here. So I came here uh, when I was about 14. Um, and then I say, so my whole transition, everything began here as well. I'm also, um, I host First Fridays and Third Fridays at Ibiza. I do a lot of brunches here. I'm sorry, I'm a little hot right now. <laughs> um, so I do a lot of things um, as far as like brunches and drag shows and things like that here in the community. So as far as Pride coming up, you'll see me a lot next month. So um, that's who I am here. So <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. That was drag queen and trans woman Ebony Valentino at our Cape Fear Conversation event last month. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Newsroom on WHQR Public Media. Our entire show this hour is focused on issues impacting the queer community. I want to ask about the current availability of gender-affirming care, specifically for youth, um, and what you might think of recent legislation that has been filed to prevent youth from accessing that care. And I also, just to broaden this a little bit, if you want to speak to the availability of gender-affirming care for adults as well, I actually am not sure how it is in North Carolina. I'm from Oregon, and it's quite different there. So um, I'd love to hear that perspective, both for under and over 18 populations. 
Okay, so maybe that would be me. <laughs> <laughs> so if a trans youth, um, you know, decides that they would like to transition, first of all, they have to be a certain age, um, and it depends on the doctor, but you have to have the parent's approval. If there are two parents, the parent, the other parent's approval. You have to have the primary doctor, a therapist, and that child that all agree that maybe hormones would be the right choice. So that's five different guesses that have to happen before that kid can, you know, go, you know, get hormones. They also have to have a blood test to make sure that they're safe. Um, and at that point, you know, there are only about, and I'm not going to name who those doctors are, but there's about three doctors in the Wilmington area that provide care for trans teens. And again, they have to have all those ducks in a row before they can even request hormones. Um, the other thing with adults, um, they have to go through the same sort of thing, they just don't need parent, parent permission. And then if a child wanted to uh, have surgery, they would have to have not only their parents' approval, themselves, a therapist, a second therapist, their primary care provider, and the surgeon all saying yes. So to that extent, like now we need a legislator to decide that it's a yes. It doesn't make any sense. It's, it should be a, um, a decision between a kid, the parent, and their doctors. It shouldn't be anybody else in that room. So it's, it's already... There are so many barriers, but that's the way it's designed so that because we don't want kids to make a, a rash decision uh, on what they want. We want them to think about it. We want to talk about it. A therapist has to agree to it. You know, so there's all these things in place because we care about kids, not because we want to hurt them. Um, and so I think that the legislators should just get out of the way. I would like to speak as a parent how difficult it is to find information. Um, I'm very thankful for TR and his group um, because it is a wealth of information, but I feel like it shouldn't be so hard. Um, nobody's trying to mutilate their children. Nobody's trying to change something that isn't wanted. Um, and it's just, it's heartbreaking to be, to have to look at your kid and be like, so you gotta wait because we have to talk to 700 other people. And oh, by the way, you probably are gonna need to phrase it this way so that the legislator doesn't come in and start making laws on you and telling me that I can't be your parent anymore. Um, Florida is super scary right now, um, in my opinion. We had planned a trip and we no longer feel safe that we could go. We are scared our child might be taken away from us. We might be arrested. Our other child might be taken, you know, not abusing our child, but Florida sees it as that, as, you know, supporting a child who is figuring out who they are in the world and heaven forbid we would want them to be comfortable. Um, but I really do appreciate that there is a community here that does support and has the information that we need to help our own children, but it is really difficult. Mm -hmm. If I could just like add a zoom out real quick, straight 
cisgender people are totally fine with gender affirming care for themselves. Women take estrogen, men take Viagra. Y'all have breast reductions and breast augmentation all the time. Like it's only when it comes to LGBTQ people that we're suddenly not okay with gender affirming care. So there's no other way to describe that than purely discrimination. 100%. For me, I wish that we would, I wish that they wouldn't focus so much on the negative effects of what it can do and the positive things. Because me, myself being trans and not being able to transition until I was older. I didn't transition, I'm 33 now, I just turned 33 uh, about a week ago. And I didn't start transitioning until I was 25. But for a very long time, I did not know who I was for. A few times out of my life, I tried to take my own life because I was so busy trying to figure out who I was and why I felt so different, why I felt so uncomfortable around these people that were supposed to be my peers, you know? In a community, especially coming from the black community, you know, if anyone really knows me, know I grew up in, the, the ghettos of Wilmington, you know, but I'm happy about that because those same communities got to see a different point of view from what they see on TV or what they hear in the negative aspects. They got to see someone firsthand grow and be happy. So I wish we, I wish they would focus more on those things of how it can change someone's life for the better and it can potentially save a child's life. You know what I'm saying? Because before I started transitioning, I felt like I didn't have a place. And once I did, no matter who left me, no matter what my family said or anything, I felt happy, I felt content. So I wish they would understand those things can be the same things that happen with children. But children have more of a support with, like TR said, needing you know your parents' approvals, therapy and things like that. I didn't have to go through that. But it would have been nice if I did have those things and not trying to figure it out on my own. I wish that they would realize that there are already a bunch of resources here that are saying this is okay, you know, and this child is gonna be fine. We have a, a huge support system here that loves and cares for this child. We don't need to focus on the negative of you're mutilating a child because no one's who, who is doing that, right? But seriously. So we're sticking with legislation because there's been so many bills, um, more than 300 in the last year in the United States. The Parents' Bill of Rights here in North Carolina, a.k.a., as the Democrats are calling it, the Don't Say Gay Bill, SB 49, it prohibits instruction on gender identity for most grade schoolers. I think it's kindergarten through fourth grade. And it would require schools to notify parents if a student uses different gender pronouns than their assigned identity in school. So what do you think the impact of this bill might be on LGBTQ youth? Um, it's it's going to be horrible, honestly. <laughs> um... I'm gonna speak from my own experience because that's the only place I can come from. Um, growing up in my household, we didn't have this, but you know, I, ha I have a black father, you know, my mother as well, and they knew nothing about being trans. You know, they knew nothing about any of these things. The only thing that my dad would say they knew of growing older was gay men and gay women. That was it. You know, anything else, they they just you know didn't associate with or anything or didn't have any knowledge of. So. Um, Finding comfort outside of, you know what I'm saying, your your home and your family and friends or your counselors at school can also, again, save a life. It really can because I had a counselor when I went to school who I could tell any and everything to, and I knew that was my safe place. You know, when I ran away from home, that was the first person I called because I didn't feel safe because my dad saw things that weren't of him or felt like he didn't approve of, so he wanted to throw me out. So before that happened, I left. 
And she was one of the first people I called. And she also helped save me. She got me to a group home. You know, she helped put money in my pocket so I was able to eat. She kept me going to school, you know, so I can graduate. So I think that is horrible that they're saying that because you never know what potential damage you could be doing to a child in their own home without actually, you know, diving in a little bit deeper. And I, I actually agree with, I agree because um, when I was growing up as well, I was going through so much um, because I had to hide that inside of me. And I was going through depression. I was acting out. I was showing out in school because um, I wasn't able to consult with my teachers, um, anybody in school. And then once I did tell a family member about it because I um, couldn't understand it myself, she went and told family and um, they actually put me in therapy like something was was uh, wrong with me. And um, I think at the time, um, the, fam the family member didn't understand. I'm assuming maybe they didn't, but it was more of, it was a problem more than it was um, just me being who I was. So for years, I went through it being a problem to the fact that I just uh, learned to hate myself inside because I didn't have anybody to talk to or anybody to say to them, like, this is who I am, and them to say, hey, it's okay. So uh, I learned, I taught myself to hate myself, to hate who I was because I just couldn't talk to anybody. And then um, I went to college. It took me to go to college and to meet folks that was like who I was, to say, hey, it's okay. You are okay. You're fine. You're you're normal. It's okay. And I just think that um, it shouldn't have took me to go to college. Um, I think we, it should start at youth. We need that. We need that in our life. So 99% of the kids that are in my group, or more, um, come from parents that are cisgender or straight folks. And they're oftentimes blindsided by the fact that their child is trans. And so they come in and there's an adjustment period. Um, so I can imagine how a parent without that type of support is going to react to their child being going by a different name or a different gender um, than they anticipated. And I feel like that is only going to result in that child being in a dangerous situation um, as well as an increase uh, children in foster care, which is already astronomical right now with trans kids um, or even LGBT kids. So you're just setting those kids up to fail. They're not able to like take the time to figure out if their parent is going to be supportive. And now you're forcing that child to live in an environment that they are not supported and could be uh, abused. Um, I'm a former teacher. <laughs> um, my husband and I both left uh, education last year. And we were always very, very careful of asking each student if they wanted to go by preferred name and pronouns what they are called at home. And if we have to call home, what do we say? Um, I cannot fathom somebody telling me I'm going to lose my job if I have to out a kid. Um, 
it's not okay. It's not, it's not my place to do that. I always felt my place was to be there and be supportive of our children, to provide them with safe spaces where they can be who they are and, and explore that. Um, I worked really hard to make sure that there were books in my classroom library that offered not only stories, but educational things that would help kids to understand all the different genders and sexualities that are out there. And if kids don't have that safe space, that safe person where they can talk to somebody and know that they're not going to go run to their parents, um, I agree. It's, it's detrimental. Nobody's talking to kindergartners about sex, y'all. Come on. But you can show representation in yeah. books. You know, it, that's not a hard thing to do. If you can talk about a mom and a dad in a household, you can talk about two moms or two dads or how, whatever your household looks like. And that's okay. Kids get it. They don't care. They're like, okay, cool. And then they move on. It's the parents and the adults that feel like we're somehow grooming children and turning them into to something that we're not doing. Um, this just also makes me think about, like, clearly legislators don't talk to kids either. <laughs> like, yeah, I, as a mom, like, first of all, my children, my nine-year-old uh, knows how to get pronouns together. Like, she will get you together if you don't get someone else's pronouns together. Like, they are that aware. So that just lets me know the disconnect between people who are making these decisions and the actual children and the people that they're making the decisions for. They don't have those conversations. Like, kids are already out here using these pronouns. Um, they are, they're here. They're not, and I think if we were to see that, we would see a lot of, a lot of kids, like, rebelling. That was Quaylen Bowen, a queer woman and host of the As Told By Us podcast. You're listening to the newsroom on WHQR Public Media. Stay with us. You're listening to the newsroom from WHQR. I'm Kelly Knoyer. Thanks for joining us. Today, you're getting the highlights of our great panel last month. It was our second ever Cape Fear Conversation, a new quarterly event where we discuss impactful issues and stories in our region. We have a panel of seven queer residents discussing their perspectives. Enjoy. So this is going to be a really broad question, but how do you think Wilmington does as a city in supporting the queer community here? Do you feel welcomed and supported in this community? We hear from the audience, no. I feel like they can do more. Um, I feel like they can definitely do more. I feel like um, there isn't enough representation for us here. We have a committee. Where are they? I don't know. Um, I'm just saying, um, when there are like uh, a lot of events going on, um, I feel like, where are we? Yeah. You know, we don't have enough of our people that want to like be you know, that want to represent us and represent our community. And I mean, you can do it with two people, but it's 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 funner with 200. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, I just feel like they don't do enough, to be honest. So I feel like they limit us to drag shows and like maybe like a little like pride event here like they're going to do next month. And that's all you get. That's That's it. And those I've noticed are mostly by private businesses. It's not like... You know, I'm from Oregon. In Portland, the city supports a pride parade. So I don't think that we have that kind of thing here. No. 
and I don't think we're going to get it because <laughs> I'm serious. I feel like for one, I feel like a lot of these people um, that are, you know, older are kind of settled into that same thing of like, well, what we've been doing is fine. So we don't want to like do any more. We don't want to push the agenda. Up. You know, there's already all these bills being passed. We don't want to make it look like we're trying to push the agenda to force ourselves in people's faces. So we're not going to, you know, ask for a pride parade. We're not going to try to do a pride float in Azalea Festival, you know, to represent our community. We won't do those things because that's just doing too much for people to dislike us more. When who gives a I'm sorry, beep, like who cares, you know what I'm saying? Like we're here already, we're not going anywhere, so why not do the most? You know, I'm not gonna not wear makeup in public because I feel like it's gonna make someone else feel comfortable. I don't care how you feel about me in public and the way I look. I feel comfortable, I feel beautiful, so I'm gonna do and represent myself however I want to. I feel like we should do that as a community, but more, you know? They already hate us, shit. Why not? I don't care. Put some glitter on it. I agree. I mean, I feel like uh, what she was saying, um, we can have like, parades and I go to um, when I was in Virginia or when I go to Washington DC I mean it's so much more an enhancement when it comes to LGBTQ plus events and it, I mean <laughs> you come to Wilmington it's like Ugh, blah I mean it's nothing here that's going on when it when you go to bigger cities and everybody is just so much more prideful I mean we do do some things but I mean I know we can do way much better but I do uh, commend Caroline because she tries so much and she does I mean you do you do I mean you do a lot and I mean I know it's so hard for you but I do commend you for everything you do I appreciate that. It's really a community effort, what we do at the LGBTQ Center. But I'd say my experience of being queer here is like if you're white, socioeconomically privileged, and cisgender, you're good to go. <laughs> and then what I also find is that those people then hide at home. They're like, oh, we don't go out or we don't come and help support things because we're cool. Well, I see that as a failure of us generationally as a queer community. We as elders, I'm 34, but I'm an elder now. A lot of people I know are dead. So we are the ones who have to bear this flag. But it is our responsibility to reach back and clear the path for people who are coming behind us. It's not okay to just get married by your house and live in your little white privileged life. This is damaging to the community long term. It doesn't advance any of us. And as long as like trans women of color have less rights than I do in town, I can't sleep well at night knowing that people that are part of my community are being mistreated. And so really like it's great for us to have pride events and things like that, but we need people to vote. We need people to go to boring city council meetings. We need people to go to school board. We need people to do the really unglamorous work that actually moves us forward over the arc of generations. It's, it's about so much more than just like going out and feeling comfortable holding my partner's hand in public. I also think that if the city and the county funded a lot of the stuff that Caroline's doing, she would have more money to actually put together events that are more um, diverse and, and pull in different people. So I think, um, yeah, fund it. They are. They're afraid to help you. I say Caroline for mayor. <laughs> Did you say Caroline for mayor? Yeah. No, no, no y'all would all hate that. <laughs> Vote for Caroline. <laughs> All right. Um, this is my unfun question for this half of the panel. But 
we've had a few incidents of Proud Boys showing up to LGBTQ events in town. Both of those for children, um, like the Queer Story Hour that was a reading of Heather Has Two Mommies. And also, I think they went to a drag event that was at Palette, and they've mm-hmm. been to other drag events. What is your reaction to these incidents, and what would you like to see from the community in reaction to these incidents? You guys are creepy. <laughs> that is so creepy. When I saw the picture from the Palette event, like someone's literally like in the event. This is not outside of the event. You weren't like in the parking lot across the street. You weren't on the sidewalk. You were like inside taking a picture of someone performing and then you and then went on to say oh well you know it was a great event because there were no children there my whole thing is what were you going to do if there were children there what are you going to do you know what i'm saying like what 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 is your plan to do if you saw a kid if you saw a parent with their child in this event what are you going to do and that's that's what confuses me and what makes me afraid, you know, because it's like, well, if this is your mindset to do weird things like this, you know, you can go about it. Otherwise, you could have been here, you know, speaking with us and, and speaking your piece. But instead, you choose to, like, hide in corners and do things. Come on now. We have to do better than that. If You can't be a proud boy if you're, you know, hiding in the bushes. Like, that is crazy to me. That is Yes, that is crazy. I'm like, and we work these events, you know? So for me, I think about the pride that's that's an event that's coming up, you know, where we're outside. So this isn't inside where it's a private event and we can tell people not to bring their kids. Last year there was kids, someone was picking up a baby. Baby, that's on them. I don't I don't know. I don't care personally. I personally don't care what you do with your kids, you know what I'm saying? I I I don't. You know, if you want to bring your kids, bring your kids. If you don't, by all means, you know, I don't want to step on them anyway. So, but (laughs) I'm serious. Like, it's crazy when they bring kids because they, like, push them on the stage. And it's like, babe, that is a child. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not paying attention. (laughs) So it's like it makes me afraid to 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 have allies in our community that just want to come out support us and enjoy ourselves but you have people like this hiding in bushes and hiding around corners with and you don't know what their what their intention is so that's my thing with that that's just like grow up seriously so i'll say that uh before the library incident i was very casual in when I would say where I was going, what I was doing, I was going to a Pride event, and I'd post it. But then I started getting screenshots from my friends on all these weird sites that they've been monitoring my Facebook. I feel like I'm nobody, right? But like they're like gonna like maybe show up at these events that I'm like casually going to. So I stopped advertising when I'm going to smaller events because, I, because I'm not afraid for myself, bring it on, but I'm just afraid for the folks that are at, there, at that event and I also don't wanna like bring negative attention to events that are happening for our community. So I'm a lot better about like not advertising where I'm gonna be and then I'll do it afterwards. But it, yeah, just like Ebony said, it's super creepy. And, you know, I think that when we do have these events that are happening in the community, please show up. Because if we show up in numbers, they're not going to because they're going to be scared little boys at home. So please show up so that we all can be protected because it's about numbers 
And uh, if we have more numbers, they'll be too afraid to show up because um, I'm sure that Ebony has some stilettos that she could <laughs> poke them with if things got too bad. But, but I'm not going to play with you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ebony don't play around. <laughs> okay, we don't do that over here. We don't <laughs> listen. <laughs> but I hope, and, and, and if they are going to see this, I just hope that you guys can do the same thing. Just like we show up in numbers, that does not mean that we're showing up with a violent mentality that we're showing up hoping to like bully you guys or anything us showing up in numbers is showing that we as a community are here to support each other you can do the same thing but come with an open mind come with an open mind to pull one of us to the side and have that conversation you have a parent here don't you think you would want her opinion versus trying to make her fearful of bringing her child somewhere that will make more sense i just have to say as a parent i mean my children are 15 and 17 so we don't go to the story times anymore at the library but had we I, it's, it's mind-boggling to me that you feel that anybody would feel that they had a right to say what I should do with my child um, and but to come into an event where there are small children that is causing trauma on these children and supposedly you're protecting them and that is not okay to me um, you don't have the right to come into here and tell me how what I should be reading to my child that's not your choice, that's mine. And you also don't have the right to cause my child trauma and fear in a place that is supposed to be a public, safe space. Um, but that is from a parent's perspective, and also I feel, too, they are the creepiest people I've ever met in my life. <laughs> creepy, creepy. And I haven't met them, but I've seen them, I should say. And, it was so th and I will also say that the parent that did go to that event is still being harassed today online. That was T.R. Nunley, a trans man and advocate in the Cape Fear region. If you're just tuning in, this is the newsroom from WHQR. Stay with us. This is the newsroom from WHQR Public Media. I'm Kelly Knoyer, and you're hearing highlights from a panel I moderated last month. In the final stretch here, we get the fun questions. So after all those gay little vegetables you just ate, here's some dessert. I want to ask about gay bars in Wilmington and other queer spaces. Um, I know before the pandemic, there were a few more gay bars. I want to hear a little bit about queer history in Wilmington. I'm a newcomer. I moved here in 2021. so. Where are the spots, you guys? <laughs> Where are they? Um, well, you said gay bars. Um, I don't know about bars. <laughs> I wish there were more places. I wish this was Boys Town in Chicago, where you have, I mean, blocks of like our community. It is crazy. If I could like live in Boys Town, I would. No shade to Wilmington. I love it, but baby, nothing on Boys Town right now. They don't even. Well, honestly, I work at Ibiza. They don't even call it a gay bar. They call it an alternative club. And that is to make it comfortable for the straight community. Here we are again, doing the same thing to make ourselves uncomfortable, to make other people feel comfortable. So it's not even a gay bar. It is an alternative club. And when you go in, you're going to see the same thing. Now, I will say, Ibiza is one of the only places I go to, not because I'm fearful of going anywhere else, but 
At the same time, mostly I'm going to run into my friends there, my own community. Um, there is a, a, a good bit of us in there, but you will see on Friday and Saturday nights that there is like 80% of the straight Marines and 20% of our community. But again, that is because we don't show up. That is again because we are we see these people coming in coming in it's like okay well they're taking over so we're just going to step back and not come and that is exactly what happened so it's also one of the only 18 and up clubs here so you're going to get that anyway because you have a lot of your college students but i will say everyone that i've met at ibiza whether they're straight or whatever um it's all love so it's all love even from the crazy drunk marines it's all love honestly i have a good time there meeting my friends i wish we did have more though as far as like just places where we can just like lounge and talk and just you know because sometimes the club environment can be too much and sometimes for the people who aren't you know drinkers or you don't really want to talk to drunk people. You kind of want to just sit, you know, and maybe have a drink and have a moment like this. I wish we did have somewhere like that, but we don't as far as I know, unless anyone else. No, I don't know of any. I think um, this is a conversation that is had amongst so many folks, especially people of color here in Wilmington. Um, because where are we? Where are we, right? I think that's a question that I get a lot of times from folks who move here from other places, trying to find people and connect with people who look like them. Um, they they don't see us, right? And I'm a Wilmingtonian. I'm from Wilmington. I'm, I'm born and raised here. As far as like the history, I mean, as a kid, I know like there was like one club called Mickey Rats, mm -hmm. and my mom and them used to go like all the time. And then that was like the that was like the Ibiza, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then from that, then you get like Ibiza. And then, but I went off to college, and I, after I graduated, I went to Raleigh, um, and that's when I stepped. And I realized, like, the culture there is totally different. It's like a subculture because you have black and brown people. Like, clubs were, like, way different experience. And then we were doing something every night, like, literally every night. Um, I hadn't gone to a straight club in years, so I moved back to Wilmington. And then I'm like, so where are the black and brown queer people? You know, I, where, where, where's the J saying? Where's the Vogue? Like, it was, like, none of that. Um, except for the Rocks and the Rhino, when we had people going out to clubs, like, and that was that was a straight club, you know. Mm -hmm. But as a black woman, I still had, was missing that piece of that culture too. So even in spaces like that, that speaks to like the intersectionality part of it, uh, being queer but also being black, and that's a totally different experience. And then not having a space where you can go to, that feels very much isolating. Um, and so we've like created these subcultures and these little pockets here and there with our own people and our own tribe, like Ebony was speaking to, like, but we do, we do should show up more, right? Um, make, but also have availability to have access to more spaces that are inclusive because we deserve to have fun too. <laughs> We're out here and it, does, it shouldn't take us having to travel to other cities and other states to enjoy ourselves, but we need to create those spaces for ourselves. Well, that's a great idea. Build your ideal gay space, you guys. Yeah. What would what would it look mm -hmm. like to have the ideal queer community space, whether it's a bar or not? What would that look like? Well, it's it's crazy. She said that you know we travel to other places yeah. to, especially us being black, yeah. you know, and and traveling to other places places to go because Wilmington used to have on Thursdays they used to have hip hop night. Yeah. And we were that place where everyone would come to. And this was only in, what, 2000? I didn't go out. I didn't. The first club I ever went to was Ibiza, and that was when I was 19 in 2009. So 
Um, that was, I mean, everyone used to come down here. I mean, Charlotte, South Carolina, everywhere in North Carolina, honestly, um, South Carolina, used to have people coming from Atlanta just to come party here. It was crazy. But you met so many people, and that's what took us to those moments where traveling to other cities, you know, to, to see those friends that would come and see us. So I would love to, you know, link and try to figure out how we can get that back here. Um, I mentioned it. I don't know if I'd be as open to doing that Thursdays again, but um, it would be so nice to have something like that here. And not specifically saying it has to be like a hip-hop night or anything like that, but a space where we can come and enjoy ourselves. Because Friday and Saturdays Mm -hmm. are, I mean, we can enjoy ourselves, but. And I think it's okay to say is what night it is. You know, I think so many times, like, we fear of, like, uh, pushing folks out mm-hmm. and that we push ourselves out <laughs> you know what I mean but I think it's okay to say no this night is for us and not to say it's not for you too you're invited you're, you're all invited but it's okay to I think yeah. we should start saying that because know? they had Latin mm-hmm. night as well and that was really yeah, nice that's fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. because yeah. it brought out your Latin community mm-hmm. that's a part of our community as well so yeah. I would love to you Let's know have something like yeah. that again because mm-hmm. we don't have anything here so If you're looking for a party, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) All right, this is kind of a silly question, but it's because I think it's fun. Um, What is your favorite stereotype about a part of the LGBTQ community? Um, For me, it's bisexual finger guns. So (laughs) (laughs) we're going to leave behind everybody who's straight in the audience. Apologies in advance, but what's your favorite stereotype? (laughs) I can, like, always clock a queer woman by her carabiner. Oh! Everybody's clipping their carabiners yeah. back on right now. <laughs> uh, my community is just, for me, being a black trans woman, it's just always an extraness with us. Like, <laughs> you can just tell when it's one of the girls, because they extra just like me. It's like, girl, you do not have to have that much hair on your head. Like, girl, I, like we joke on ourselves so much. Like, it is crazy. And then it's always, you can tell, in, like, the walk and the mannerisms. It's like, girl, you are about to break your back. <laughs> walk so it's like stuff like that that we always joke about we always look at me like that's one of the girls right there <laughs> that's one of the girls i don't think i have any favorite ones you don't have a favorite <laughs> but i think like one i'm like it may be kind of sh- the u-haul lesbian thing like <laughs> so my friends they are just they're married at first sight because like, it's true it's, yeah. <laughs> it's just like how long have y'all known each other okay both on the lease all right we're doing this it's just like it's a thing it's a real thing i heard several off mic but maybe we don't want to share them with the general public they're secrets they're secret no. No. we have our own secret stereotypes <laughs> it's not just the gay agenda mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so just to wrap things up here, we've talked about a lot of pretty negative things this afternoon, but I would love to spin this towards the positive. What is one of your favorite things about the queer community in the Cape Fear region? Everything. uh, Everything. I love us for real. Like, I love my community. I love, like, running into my own people in public and just the love that we give each other. Like, I love the smiles and the genuine love that we give each other. Like... I just love it because in certain other places with bigger communities, you do run into more of the 
competition and you know the cliques and things like that but because we are such a small community here i feels like it brings us closer together especially when we're out in public you know because in certain places some of the community they'll you know judge you the same way the straight community does but here i do enjoy the love that we give each other that is like my favorite honestly and i agree with that too because you know the love that i have and the love that i see when I see Carolina and Wilmington. And even though, yes, there's some hate around, it's so much love here. You know, it's so much love that's spread around. And when I met Carolina in 2020, or something like that, that, she showed me so much love, and now she's my sister. I mean, come on, where can you get that at? Here in Wilmington, North Carolina. (laughs) (laughs) So where I'd rather be? Here in Carolina. So that's where I leave you at. So one of my favorite things about Wilmington, again, is community. And there's an amazing group called the Owls, which are these seniors that come together. And they're really amazing. It's a huge crowd of seniors who are LGBT. They go out to different uh, spots like bars or restaurants. And they're just amazing. And they... Uh, greet each other with hugs and there's so much laughter in the room and you think okay this is this is amazing um, and then I guess I'm a little biased but I adore my little trans babies that I call them we have a group of at least 20 kids that kind of come and go um, that identify as trans or non-binary and they're just like the smartest just well-rounded kids, you know, from 11 to 17, 18. Um, And they're teaching me stuff. And, you know, oftentimes people are like, oh, TR, you're doing such a great job. I'm not doing anything. (laughs) I'm just creating a space for them to be. And when a new kid comes in, they're super, like, awkward and weird, which I love. But then, like, 10 minutes into it, you can hear their like laughter and they're like getting along with each other because they feel so connected to that little community. I just wanna piggyback on that. You say that you don't do anything but you provide the space. Um, The first time that my kid went to TR's group, they came home and they said, sorry, (laughs) mom, I found my people. And to have, that's what I love about this community, is that the support that's been shown for our children who need that safe place to find their people um, is so incredibly important. I saw a lot of people when I was growing up that didn't have that support, that didn't have that place, and to know that there is, it's really, really, um, gets me right there. And I will just add in, um, kind of again, going off of what TR said with uh, the owls, um, we have a, you know, on, on campus, we have a really great group of students um, who I would say are emerging leaders and little activists and are really starting to find their footing. And um, I think a lot of it has to do also with our community partnerships and connecting them 
with, you know, Caroline and the uh, LGBT Center, the Cape Fear, as well as the OWLs coming up, and I think really learning from the older folks in the community and kind of allowing them to help and show our students the way. Um, and so I appreciate, one thing that I really appreciate, again, is like everybody putting back into our youth, our college students, as well as, you know, the younger folks in the community. So I think there's just so much investment in trying to really bring up the youth and bring up the college kids and say, you know, hey, this is how we've done it before, and here's how we keep moving forward together. I don't have anything to add, but I will say, like, I'm a product. I was raised as a child here in Wilmington within the black community and the gay community, um, and so I have, like, that history of just experiencing both and just being, like, Im immersed in it. Um, and so I, I, too, feel like community is, like, my favorite thing about it here. Um, just being that youth, which you are raising, which all of us are now coming in contact and raising and being a part of raising. I'm like a product of that. I think I turned out pretty well. Yeah. I'll just say my perspective. Um, I know I'm the moderator, but I am also part of the community. And I think that in a lot of cities, there's this capital Q, capital C queer community. And it's like, the glitterati of the queer community. It's like the most active, the most whatever. Um, and I was never part of that as a journalist, right? Like I have to keep a certain distance. Um, but I felt like when I moved to Wilmington, I found a queer community that I had never really had before anywhere else. I feel like in a small town or a smaller town in the South, there's a little bit more solidarity between different identities. I felt more welcomed here as a bi person, um, often not included in LGBTQ communities by a lot of folks. There's a lot of gatekeeping sometimes. I've never experienced that in Wilmington, and I think that's pretty special. I just want to thank you all so much for coming and joining this panel. Thank you, everybody. A big round of applause for our panelists. That was our tremendous panel from our May 13th Cape Fear Conversation event. Thank you to our panelists, Erin Jones, Ebony Valentino, Brooke Lambert, Carolyn Morin, T.R. Nunley, Coylan Bowen, and Takesha McIntyre. Also, thank you to the WHQR production team, Ken Campbell and Jonathan Fernell. If you missed any part of this show, you can find it at whqr.org or get the show as a podcast pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts. Stay tuned for future Cape Fear Conversation events you can attend in person. And if you have ideas for a topic, you can email us at newsroom at whqr.org. I'm Kelly Knoyer. Thanks for listening to The Newsroom.